Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And, of course, they have Junior Bergen T-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. It's 4 o'clock. Welcome to To Tell in Nuanes, Montana's only statewide sports talk show. Broadcast on 102.9 ESPN Radio for Western Montana and across the state on SWX Television. I like football! Now, sports talk from Montana for Montana. Live from the Kurtz Polaris studio, here is Ryan Tutel and Coulter Nuanes. Hello, Montana. The NFL draft has come to a close. We will update you on who has gone where. And also, we will spend some time digging into episodes three and four the last dance and a little bit more about the lady grizz it is to tell new one is 1029 espn radio outstanding to be with you on this monday afternoon hope you had a fantastic weekend hope you've had a great monday thanks for being with us on your radios no television today but certainly on your uh uh internets as well you can stream us 1029espn.com you listen live on the listen live tab it's there all the time thanks to opportunity bank your local bank your opportunity if you want to pick up your phone and call you could do that tommy is this the one we're using here today we still on this thing sorry yeah okay good. that's the one good thank you tommy uh three six one three six eight eight the phone number Three six one three six eight eight. We'd love to have you in here if you want to get in here, talk to us about uh, the draft, what you thought about it over the weekend, players in and around the Big Sky, in and around the University of Montana, Montana State, who have landed on professional rosters. Uh, we can certainly do that. Three six one three six eight eight. All guests join us via the Regis Brothers RV phone line. On the show today, we are going to take a fairly long look at the NFL draft, first through the eyes of the Big Sky Conference, and specifically Montana and Montana State, and then a little bit wider look at it through the eyes of uh, the FCS and then ultimately in the lives of the NFL and the teams that we thought you know did well overall and get into some of that stuff as well. Also, the Lady Grizz, they added their first junior college transfer, or about to add 
uh, her. First one since 1981. My goodness gracious, it's been a long time. But uh, there's some spots to fill in the roster, and so uh, they are doing it with Hannah Thurman, one of uh, uh, from Three Rivers College. So we'll get into that a little bit. We'll talk about The Last Dance. Did you watch it last night? What did you think about it? I Loved it, of course. No surprise there. I mean, I'm already all into this thing. So uh, 7 o'clock rolls around. You find me pinned to the Davenport in the old living room watching this thing unfold. So I enjoy that very much. We'll get into, again, at the top of the hour, more draft stuff uh, on, the, on the larger scales and also some high school stuff as well. Uh, a one more high school uh, 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 commit in the state of Montana, uh, going from Big Sky to Montana Tech, so we'll get into uh, all that as well. Coulter, hi. How are you, man? Pretty decent. How you doing? Doing okay. Everything okay? Oh, yeah. Okay. Why do you always ask me that? Well, because, you know. There's nothing in my life that could be bad. Unless it's a, a, stent, a mental state of being, I just, it's only a moment of weakness I on just my part. Maybe the 401 arrival. Maybe there was something you know uh, that no. That I'll, had. I'll fill you in off the. I got, <laughs> okay. a, I got a little adventure. I got to go on uh, this evening. Oh boy! Hey, right? that's great though, man. I mean, it I don't is. know what I don't it know is. nothing and about. I'll, I'll tell you about it. You and I'll tell everybody out there about it too when I get back. It's just uh, got to just go. Gotta, you got to do the thing first, and then stuff, we'll and, uh, we'll be back. But, okay. Uh, anyways, I'm I'm doing well. Um very interesting the way that the world is already operating differently than it was the last eight weeks and you wouldn't really notice unless you notice but if you notice then you definitely notice i mean right here we're next to a car Can wash. you just save that piece of <laughs> you save that the, sentence and put it in a file the, the car wash right next door has had no people over there for the last two months and now there's 15 people watching their car yeah it's interesting i uh i haven't washed my car yet but i'm going to get to I, it you know yeah. there will be a day when I steal your car and you won't know where it's at and it will return sparkling and then you'll probably drive it off on a cliff because you'll be uh, in such a state of disarray. I, I wouldn't know. It was probably the glare of the sun will just get to me and I won't know what to do. Uh, Colter, let's get into this NFL draft a little bit. Okay. Um, only, I believe this right, six players were drafted total from the entire FCS, the nation, the FCS level. Zero of them out of the Big Sky Conference. Not one player drafted into the Big Sky Conference. Now, overlaying that with last season, I believe, uh, according to Hero Sports, 13 FCS players were drafted a yep. year ago. Yep. So less than half this season. You think it was, it's 255, right? It was the number that uh, we landed yeah. on. And it, that number can vary a little bit with compensatory picks, I think, from year to year in terms of the actual total number. But, you know, 250. So about 260. Yeah. yeah, 250, 260 guys each year get taken. I would think the 13 to 15 range it would be a, a pretty normal average of FCS players to be taken, you know, somewhere in about, you know, the 5% of, of players drafted uh, kind of area, maybe a little bit better than that, 6 7%, whatever. But uh, this year it was down, and I know that you want to talk about the, the, you know, what does this mean and all that kind of stuff, especially for the Big Sky Conference. That nobody drafted. Nobody drafted. First time since 2000. For, yeah, right. So 20 years since the last time that, that that didn't happen. But this to me is all about one thing and one thing only. The, 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 the virus which forced the virtual nature of this thing and the lack then, particularly leading up to the draft, of pro days, of interactions of coaches at this level with the scouts that are out there. And so a lot more, and I know you got a lot to say about this too, of, of 
quote-unquote known commodities, the Blue Blood schools delivered all of the draft picks this year exactly. as opposed to the other because there's just a higher degree of comfort and familiarity with the competition and the guys, even when the individual players, I'm sure there's plenty of guys that are signing up in free agency. They're going to beat out guys who were drafted in the late rounds. No question. I think that what you said is almost right, but it's not ex- exclusively right. It's not about one-on-one thing alone. That is absolutely the overwhelming biggest factor, is the fact that every GM in the league obviously did not want to take risks on any sort of non-headliner-type uh, guy. I mean, you had th- the entire seventh round. I mean, when when the big D tackle, Cam Davis from North, from Nebraska, who's the national champion in the discus, as well as a two-time first-team All-Big Ten guy and a four-year starter is getting drafted in the seventh round, I'm sitting here thinking... Well, Dante Olson's not getting drafted. All right. When John Runyon's son is pick number 240, I mean, he's a three-year starter at Michigan. He's two-time first-team All-Big Ten. If, if that's the guy that's going in the seventh round, I don't really know how uh, anybody from the big sky is going to get drafted. But I, I do think what you said is is one of the – one of it, it is absolutely the biggest reason, and it's an mm-hmm. overwhelming factor in what we're talking about. It's not only that the scouts didn't get to see the guys test and talk to the kids – so much of it's not getting to talk to the coaches. Right, talking to the to the head men. Part of the reason Bobby Houck put more than two dozen guys in the NFL is because Bobby Houck put more than two dozen guys in the NFL. When scouts come and talk to him, like if scouts would have come and talked to Bobby Houck and there would have been a pro day and all 30 teams could cycle through his office, he would say, all right, gentlemen, I've coached seven linebackers that have gone to the NFL and this kid's the best one. Dante mm-hmm. Olson's the best. I don't know if Coach Houck would have said that. I think he probably would have, though. Regardless, he would have said he's the most productive one because that's indisputable. He is. And so you just you wonder how much that hurts, right? But then you have a guy like Jay Hill at Weber State, for example. Jay can say, Hey, when he's talking to scouts, says, Hey, I worked for Urban Meyer for a long time. I worked for Ron McBride for a long time. We've had pro guys here for a long time. This is a pro these are the guys that are pro guys. And I think that has such influence, adults talking to adults. Especially when you have guys like especially Hauk and Choate who've been at Power Fives. I mean, if Choate could say, Hey, you know, I coach Vita Vea and Danny Shelton and you know Greg Jennings at Washington. Sterk is on Bryce Sterk is on par with those guys. That yeah. resonates. So I think that's one way where it slips, and that's that's to affirm your point. But I also think that even when let's say there was no pandemic and the pro days and the combine would have gone as scripted, I still think we were going to see a declining number of both Big Sky and FCS picks. I agree. With I you. think that there's two reasons for that. I think that one. I think that. To have more than uh, than the usual number, it used to just be the only big sky prospects really were going to be at either the Metropolitan Schools, Portland State and Sac State. It'll be interesting to see what the prospects are like that they produce now because they both have invested in coaches that want to build it from the high school ranks. So you don't have the Patrick on Wasser dropping down from Arizona because Bruce Barnes decided to not do that, to not take the high-risk characterist you guys a lot of times those guys got their lives together at portland state and then got drafted like patrick on wasser but they're just not going that same route same with sac state but i also think that not having a guy like ed lamb at southern utah southern utah is no longer a hotbed it was for like a five-year moment in time it was it's not now bobby hauck i think hasn't been back at montana long enough to really get that element rolling i think you're just now starting to see it with jeff choate i mean montana state's had a lot of success the last 20 years a great deal of it was not built on NFL caliber players. They did have a smattering of them, but it wasn't the same factory that Montana was. Yeah. Even though the success was rather parallel over the last 20 years, Montana had so many more guys 
go. But I think that th- those two programs getting more ready. But then also the last thing is, can Eastern Washington get back on the train? Because Eastern Washington was the number one Big Sky That's school right. in producing these players. So much of that credit goes to Bo Baldwin. But as of today, as of right now, no Eastern Washington Eagle signed a, a undrafted free agent contract. That's, That's the first time since Bo Baldwin's first season at Eastern Washington that hasn't happened. Eastern Washington signed a guy for 10 years in a row. So that in itself takes away from it too. So that's the whole big sky angle. But then I also think that we've seen this already in the top 25 of the FBS rankings. It's so hard to break in if you're not one of the richest of the rich. When you look at the top 20 every year, it's just the absolute blue blood programs that spend the most money. Mm -hmm. And if programs like Oregon and Washington and West Virginia and Texas Tech and Texas A&M they can't even break into the the glass room that is the college football playoff. They can't even get in the conversation hardly. Yeah. And those schools are absolute juggernauts. And so I think that's the last factor is I think that we're, we're seeing the fracturing and the divide become more and more and more and more. And so the power fives, especially the elite power fives, I mean, here's a stat for you. 48% of the players drafted in this draft, 48% were from nine schools. Mm. Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Clemson. Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, and Florida State. That's it. And so I just think that it's going to be harder and harder and harder for FCS guys to get drafted. Yeah. That said, because of the expanded rosters for camp, though, now these guys got a good chance to go earn it. That's going to be the most detrimental part of the pandemic, though, is if there's not the traditional styles of camps. We have till right. July 24th when this stuff's scheduled, because right now it doesn't really matter if you're a fifth, sixth, seventh round pick because of the contracts. You've got to go beat out a fifth, sixth, or seventh round pick to get on a team. That's it. But I just think that there's so many different factors that go into why we're seeing this. I think very little of it has to do with the players in the Big Sky actually being any worse. I think that the college football landscape is just so much different. It's 2 Tell and 1 is 102.9 ESPN Radio. Let's take a look now at the specifics, and we'll start, obviously, in the state of Montana. Three guys from Montana or Montana State are currently on a roster. Dante Olson, the Buck Buchanan Award winner uh, from the University of Montana, signs with the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, and maybe not a huge surprise there, ultimately. Who knows what all the offers or opportunities he had were, but Tim Houck, Bobby's brother, safeties coach at Philadelphia, has been for a little while. Excuse me, Marty Morningwig is a senior offensive analyst for the club. Obviously, a long time, long time coach, even including head coach in the NFL, and obviously former Grizz quarterback as well, uh, are both there uh, uh, in Philadelphia. Ken Flajoli is also there. Ken Flajoli was uh, at Montana for a brief moment in time back in the early 1990s, and uh, he's good friends with Tim Houck too. They've worked together. I, f- first of all, he was the DBs coach in Green Bay when Tim Houck was still playing. So that's another right. Montana, sort of Montana connection. Fajoli has not nearly the lineage of obviously a Tim Houck or a Marty Morningweg as Montana's or Alma but there's connections there for sure. But Dante, uh, well, I want to, okay, so there's that. Okay, here's the other two guys. Bryce Sterk uh, goes to Miami and is going to be brought in as a tight end at Miami, which right. is... Uh, We'll see. I mean, honestly, yeah, they they like the, the body type, the speed, obviously the ability to block, presumably, at the position yes. and all that. So we'll see there. And then the other one is Travis Johnson, which is hugely interesting to me, where Travis Johnson, wide receiver for Montana State, uh, converted quarterback who becomes a wide receiver, one of the uh, absolute top, top athletes in the entire Big Sky Conference is going to Tampa Bay and uh, going to see you know, what he's able to do, what if he's able to impress uh, with the Buccaneers, which 
Well, let's go through these three guys. Okay. Of these three, here's I'll give you my quick pluses and minuses in terms of why they can make the team and why why the odds are stacked against them, which we know the odds are always stacked against unsigned free agents, okay? Point being, Dante Olsen is point of attack, tackling as good as it gets. I mean, he's mm-hmm. going to he he will he's going to wow if they if they're able to get into camp and get into, you know, some drills, that he's going to he's going to completely I don't know, shocks the word, but he will surprise a bunch of the coaches in some areas yes. in some of the things that he does where they go, "Whoa, he just filled the gap and the running back went straight the other direction." So, he has that going for him. I think he is an adequate can be an adequate special teamer in some ways as well. His downside is just his straight line speed. I mean, he, I don't know and, how and, he. And his per- potential lack of versatility. I'm not going to say he's unversatile. We just really don't know. That's right. Because in the defense that the Grizz ran the last two years, and Dante Olson deserves all the credit in the world for this, because at the end of the day, when you play football for Bobby Houck, no matter who his defensive coordinator is going to be, your job is to do your job, yeah. period. Dante Olson's job was to make all the tackles, gap yeah. to gap, in the box, period. He's so good at that. I just don't know what else he can do because he was never really in position to do anything else. The other thing, too, though, to me at the NFL level, you saying questioning his versatility and me questioning his speed are the exact same comment. Right. I mean, the, the, the versatility is the speed. And, right. and and that's and that's where I think that the scheme that Montana ran it held Dante Olson back a little bit because if you have any sort of X's nose acumen when you watch when you put Montana on film, the the scheme itself is so it's so unorthodox and you love it because it it, it emphasizes the things that are so appealing about defensive football playing hard running to the ball doing your job a lot of guys having to make sacrifices for other guys to be the playmakers mm-hmm. in that element it's so appealing i think that's why grizz fans were so revitalized yeah. these last couple of years with the effort that montana showed but i also think that if an nfl team was to devise a scheme and put dante olsen in the center of it he'd be one of the best in the entire league at that role that that's just not going to happen in the league and so that's where i'm just stuck exactly i totally think the kid can learn all these things i just don't know we just have no real evidence of what he can do yet because he hasn't really been put in a position to do it i think that in my opinion dante olsen as a between the tackles run stopping linebacker isn't an nfl player he's an nfl starter in that respect exactly but But can he cover christian mccaffrey in the flat well first of all no, no, one. no, one. no <laughs> because one because there's no zero can. people who no can one, cover no, Christian. No one can, but it's like right. we always talk about with pro sports. That's the difference. That's one of the biggest differences between pro and college sports. So often in college sports, you have a system. You have to play with discipline. You have to play inside the system. Mm-hmm. Whether you're talking football or basketball. Yeah. In the NBA, if you put the, the slow-footed center in the game, like if Ennis Cantor is in the game, the other team's running high pick and roll until Ennis Cantor gives up thirty. That's yeah, it. Yeah. That's it. That's all. Yeah. It's just like you just you have to wonder if Dante Olson's in the game against the Carolina Panthers or something. They're throwing the swing pass to to Christian McCaffrey a dozen times. They're they're running field sweeps all day long. Yeah, I I, I agree. And so the, you know the, the, you just got to figure out that. But again, at the end of the day, right at the beginning at least, it's probably all about special teams. Although the one the other thing that I think is in Dante's favor is that the Eagles are not hugely stacked at linebacker. But, I mean, they, we did, but, they, did, but they did prioritize it. They got five, five new linebackers coming in that have yeah. come in off of this draft uh, or free agency, and so that that is a lot. But we, we spoke with Alex Singleton, who's a linebacker for the Eagles uh, out of Montana State last week, and uh, and obviously, I mean, he's a great player. He's on the he's, – he's a linebacker for the Eagles right now, um, but they are certainly creating a big competition, and – 
competition certainly favors guys who are on, lower on the totem pole rather than the absolute established guys who just been handed a contract. Uh, what did Alex Singleton say, too? He said what we already knew to be true. When you take away the specialists on a roster, you only got starters and backups. That's it. And yeah. you might cover, you might carry two extra offensive and defensive linemen, but it's starters and backups. That's it. Yeah. So the way you make a squad as a backup is by playing special teams. And that's where this whole argument we're having right now comes full circle. The two-time first-team All-Big Ten defensive tackle from Nebraska didn't play any special teams yeah. in college. Yeah. All these guys from the Power Fives, that's right. they're not, they might have played it when they were a freshman. Dante Olson didn't stop covering kicks until this year. He still was on punt. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like Travis Johnson for Montana State, Choate told him. He called him in and said, hey, here's the deal, son. I want to know your dreams. And Travis Johnson said, Coach, I want to play in the NFL. He said, okay, well, there's three things you got to do. You got to move from quarterback. You got to buy in. You got to build your body and prove that you can block and run routes. But more than anything, you have to learn how to cover kicks. Travis Johnson was an all-big sky special teams player this last year, and that's going to help him. But that's where this Dante Olson thing gets so interesting because this truly is. I mean, Alex Singleton was Philadelphia's special teams ace last year. So now you got Tim Houck, Mr. Special Teams, coaching a Bobcat and a Grizzly that are probably going to be battling for the same spot. And the determining factor is going to be who's better at covering kicks. Let's. I want to. I want to dovetail on what you've just said and go to Travis Johnson because I think that Travis Johnson in Tampa. First of all, I'm going to talk more about Tampa because I thought they just killed it in yeah, this draft. Up. I mean, they were cleaned absolutely outstanding. Drafting well is twofold. Mostly it's about drafting well. Mostly it's about sure. being prepared and doing the right thing. It's also about just having needs that end up falling to you positionally where you can get guys that not everybody the, the last quote-unquote last thing but the last thing that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers needed was a wide receiver well guess what this is a wide receiver rich class a bunch of teams are going after wide receivers which means some of the best linemen that are available are just sitting there in the middle of the draft for you and you can just pick them off anyway Travis Johnson going to Tampa Bay, I think, is a supreme situation for him. I think there's, uh, you know, the depth at wide receiver is obviously, you know, is clear. Okay, we we understand, you know, what it is all the way through that lineup. But when you got a guy like Tom Brady, that is, first of all, got to be tremendously exciting for him to see, you know, kind of how this might work out. But I also think he is a unique special teamer to me. When you talk about the size and speed that he has, but also the knowledge of how to do it, because there's not a lot of wide receivers that are starting wide receivers at the collegiate level that are also covering kicks, to your point. He knows how to do it. He's not afraid of doing it, and I think he has the NFL-level speed and body to do it. So I think think that, you know, again, it's always going to be a less – you always expected that uh, you know not to make the team as opposed to making the team when you talk about free agent undrafted free agents but i think that he has a good a look as anybody in that boat for that reason because he's he's a special special athlete well and football at all levels has become so much about position versatility it's not nearly as common in the nfl but more than half the teams in the league run a 3-4 defense so the guys that can play the inside linebacker spot and then when it's third and six yeah. can just bump out to the nickel. Like Isaiah Simmons, that why that's why that guy is so versatile because you can bring you can move him to outside linebacker. You can put him on the edge. You can bring him to inside linebacker on rundowns. You can bump him out to nickel. He doesn't have to come off the field. So now the offense can't cross you up as much. Yeah. But you look at what Travis Johnson can do. Not only can he cover kicks, 
Not only is he a, a good wide receiver that's going to continue to get better because he's only been playing the position for less than two years, but he can also take handoffs. He can take snaps. He can run end arounds. He has the skills to do almost everything in an offense. I thought he would have been a great fit for a team like the Saints, but we'll see what the Bucks do with him. The other thing is that's worth noting, and I've told the Travis Johnson story on this show before, mm-hmm. but I think we have to tell it again because sometimes circumstances and coincidences just snowball out of control until all of a sudden the guy's washed out. And that's why if you've ever talked to Travis Johnson or you've ever had him tell you his story, he used to be so gun-shy to talk about anything about himself because I think he was so disappointed of all the different dominoes that fell that got him to basically not even get a chance to play quarterback at Montana State. But the moment he overcame that and kicked down the door, it's a spectacular story. And I feel like most guys who reach the point he reached, they just quit. Mm -hmm. He didn't quit. Travis Johnson was the number three quarterback in the country coming out of Servite High School. He was the Trinity League Player of the Year, his junior year of high school. Trinity League, you're talking St. John Bosco Prep, Matter Day, the powerhouses of the West Coast. He was the MVP of that league. He had offers from every school in the country. He went on visits to Alabama and Penn State, USC. He's a smart kid. So he graduates early. He early enrolls at Oregon. He is Scott Frost's guy. Scott Frost wants him to be the dude when Scott Frost is the offensive coordinator for Mark Helfrich at Oregon. Travis Johnson, it just never ends at this point then, right? He breaks his foot during spring ball. Oregon scrambles because the, Johnson has complications from the surgery. They bring in Dakota Prukop, ironically, from Montana State as a gr- graduate transfer. Johnson can never find his way back. Hurts his foot again. Now he's on the way out because Hellfresh is out. Scott Frost is out. Travis Johnson tra- transfers to Riverside Community College. While he's there, Victor Viramontes, who's the former National Player of the Year out of Norco, California, doesn't like it in Minnesota, transfers back. So now... Travis Johnson's the number two guy there, even though he was probably one of the most talented quarterbacks in any junior college in the country. Still splitting reps. Doesn't have any connections anywhere. Well, Michael Petrie was the running backs coach at Servite High School. Then he was the recruiting coordinator at Montana State. He gets Travis Johnson to come there. When Travis Johnson gets there, he hasn't played quarterback in years. Then he slips on the ice and breaks his foot again. So now all of a sudden he can't be in the quarterback competition. Montana State's got an audible. They go with Troy Anderson. This all comes back around to finally Travis Johnson gets healthy and they just say, son, we've moved on from you at quarterback. Will you play outside receiver? He does it, and then last year he has over 1,200 yards from scrimmage and is a first-team all-league player. Yeah. But I think if people know that story... And they ironically played quite a bit of quarterback as a position. No, no, no question. But like, if you're the Bucks and you know that story and then you also watch this guy... I mean, I've had a lot of people, especially around Western Montana, mm-hmm. react to me and say, huh, were you surprised by Travis Johnson? I say, absolutely not. He's the most surefire NFL guy I have seen in the big sky in the last 10 years in, ter- in terms of his baseline athleticism. Right. There's no one that has an NFL body and NFL athleticism like him that we've seen at either Montana school in a decade plus, in my opinion. Let's talk about Bryce Sturk. Bryce Sturk goes to Miami. They want him to be a tight end. Now, first of all, uh, I remember when Tim Tebow was trying to figure out what it was that he was going to be or not in the NFL. And there was this debate that was, well, he should be a tight end and so forth. And I heard about a 50-50 split of analysts talking about, you can't just switch positions. You can't all of a sudden just learn how to be a tight end in the NFL. You have to know what you're doing and so forth and so on. It wasn't so much about being a tight end. It was about changing the positions. I have found that from from then before then and to this day to be absolutely absurd. Changing positions happens all the time, and it is absolutely possible and, in fact, happens 
it's not just possible. It is a reality. It happens all the time, guys switching positions coming out of college into a place where they want to be used a little bit differently, however however that's going to go. What doesn't happen very often is moving the side of the ball that you've been playing on coming out of college and going to offense. Bryce Sturk was already, you know, he he's a guy who has um he he crosses the threshold of a baseline physic physically yep. to be a defensive end in this league, but yep. he's barely. Just, he's just barely. He's just not he's not quite this is what's so crazy about the the guys that play edge in the league. Yeah. Is Bryce Sturk isn't quite athletic enough. And he is such an incredible athlete. He is. He, he's outstanding. And to your point, the thing that he can do great is get after the quarterback. He could do that in the NFL, but can he set the edge? Maybe not. And my but Miami Likes the size, likes the body, likes all the, th- you know, the having maybe the Washington pedigree and then the experience that he's got and the number, you know, of games that he's played. I I don't know if he's ever caught a pass. I Maybe he has, In maybe he school, hasn't. Once upon a time. But, uh, you know, I've, this this to me is a real long shot if that's what they want him to do. I That said, it is interesting the analysis that they've done if they know right away that they hey this is what we want you here for is to do this for us will you do it I think that that bespeaks at least some consideration that's been made for reasons that that we don't know but certainly Brian Flores and the rest of the the the, the coaching staff has had that conversation and I think it's not that hard to decipher because we look at what he, the two spots he played at Montana State's defense Montana State runs an odd man front it's basically essentially a three four defense right. When he's playing that buck end, he's playing like a stand-up outside linebacker edge position, right? He's not athletic enough to play that in the league. Not quite. He almost is, but he's not quite athletic enough to play that spot in the league. This last year, they moved him to the strong side. He's playing the 4-I spot. Well, he's certainly not big enough to play 3-4 defensive end in the league. He's about 20 pounds shy being able to do that. You move him to tight end, though, and now, now he's got a couple elite things. He's got elite size. Because he's perfect, he's perfectly sized. I mean, he's 6'5", 260. That's perfect size for an NFL tight end. Now, all of a sudden, instead of being a step slow, he's right on par with how fast you need to be. He mm-hmm. runs about 4'6", That's great for a tight end of his size. And then you talk about the one thing that you know he can do. Can he set the edge? I'm not sure. Can he create the edge? I do think so. His off-the-ball hand punch, the way he might be able to drive guys off the ball and use that same kind of four-eye defensive end mentality just as a blocker, I think he is above average to maybe elite at that. Now you just got to teach him the nuances of the position. So we'll see. Yeah. To me, the the move for now for Bryce Dirk, his goal needs to be to make the practice squad, not the active roster, because I don't think he has a chance to make the active roster at a new position. But I do think if he showed flashes, he could make the practice squad, and then all of a sudden he could develop at that position, yeah. and then he could be, become you know, a very intriguing guy at that spot. Right. Uh all, all total, by the way, one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, it's actually 11. Ten, 11. I had 10, okay, but 11. then Sergio Hoffman from Portland State signed this afternoon as well. So, so. 11 guys from the Big Sky Conference are now on yeah. uh, NFL rosters or NFL teams have signed yeah. in, in free agency. We'll get to the rest of this list and who those guys are uh, in a little bit. In fact, you may be able to do it just right after this. So we'll, we'll take a quick break. We're up against it, but we'll continue on this stuff. We'll also get into new Lady Grizz transfer, Glass Dance Parts 3 and 4, plenty more. It's a fun Monday. Glad you're with us. Two tell new on us. 
At Blackfoot, we're experts at keeping customers and communities connected online. In fact, we executed our own business continuity plan, quickly mobilizing to keep our communities online with the service and experience they need. You need to stay connected too, and we can help. From home internet to remote workforce deployments, contact Blackfoot to learn how we can help you stay connected today and in the future. Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash remote workforce to learn more. Guys around the Big Sky Conference in the league. We'll get to that. It's 2 Telling New Orleans, 1029 ESPN Radio. Great to be with you on this Monday afternoon. Hope you're having a fantastic day. At Gus Tutel on Twitter, at 1029 ESPN, and at Skyline Sports as well. Um, we talked about the three guys from the Montana schools that signed uh, free agent uh, spots with uh, with teams in the NFL. Again, Bryce Sterk, Travis Johnson, and Dante Olson. But Coulter, there's 11 guys now total around the Big Sky Conference who are on teams uh, in uh, you know that, that that are worth sort of pointing out where these guys have gone. Give the other eight uh, guys and where they've gone to folks, and then uh, let's discuss who we think has maybe the best look at actually making the roster of this group. Charlie T, touchdown Charlie from Portland State, the uh, Portland State tight end. He's doing the Cowboys as a tight end slash H-back, so that'll be interesting to see because on one end, he's the pr- prototype for the size of that position, and the Cowboys do use an H that kind of goes in motion quite often in their mm-hmm. offense, but the biggest knock on Taufeo was the fact that he's not a great inline blocker, or I guess the scouts said not that he wasn't a great one, that he was an unwilling one, mm-hmm. and so his whole thing was running seam routes. and I mean, he's so fast for how big he is. His thing is he just killed everybody, whether it was the Oregon Ducks, who he caught two touchdowns against, or the rest of the big sky, and just beating you over the middle and beating you up the seam. I don't know if he'll get a chance to do that in the NFL or not, but uh, Charlie Teagle and the Cowboys. Jeff Cotton from the University of Idaho is going to the Los Angeles Chargers. Really good wide receiver. I, I really like Jeff Cotton as a player. J.J. Koski from Cal Poly going to the Los Angeles Rams, as is Jonah Williams, defensive end from Weber State. Mm-hmm. So now the Rams... Of all the teams, the Los Angeles Rams have the most FCS players right. in the entire NFL. They, I mean, they have four active guys on their roster, including uh, Cooper Cup and Samson Ebucom from Eastern Washington. So uh, more, uh, you can tell that Sean McVay and their scouting team, I mean, it's not that surprising when you sit in the press box. Our seats are right next to the scouting seats. We encountered guys from the Rams. I did it, especially between Missoula and Bozeman, more than any other, yeah. uh, any other team. So it makes sense. Case Cookus, who's actually a guy who we did not hype up at all coming into this thing because I think we just forgot because he's been in college for 19 years and we thought he was just going to keep on playing at NAU. Nope, Northern Arizona quarterback. He's going to the uh, New York football giants, which is interesting. Khalil Dorsey, cornerback from Northern Arizona. He's going to the Ravens, Baltimore Ravens. And as we said, Travis Johnson, Bucks, Bryce Dirk Dolphins, and then George Obina from Sacramento State is going to the Browns. Uh, you know what the most interesting part about this guy? And Sergio Hoffman, obviously, Portland State running back, he's going to the Cardinals. He's the latest addition. But the most interesting part about this to me, yeah. I, I don't think that there's a guy listed here. Let me say it like this. Nothing that these guys did on the football field mattered. These guys are all just straight up, do, do you have NFL size, speed, and athleticism? 
these are the 11 best athletes that were seniors in the Big Sky Conference last yeah. year. Yeah, and and that's I mean again the barrier to entry is uh, significant in any professional sport. Certainly football, not basketball is the the highest barrier to entry from a physical standpoint. But football obviously is that, and there's no question. Like the like when you look at who's the quarterback out of the Big Sky Conference. Well, Case Cookus. How about the six foot four, two hundred thirty five pound dude who's sitting back there slinging it? Like that's that's the guy. Can he actually play the position in the NFL? You know, just about nobody can. So it seems unlikely. But you never know. Uh, you know how that goes. And what's Daniel Jones? Right, is up there in New York. So go go take a. It does have to be a thrill though, right? To go. You know, you play your career in Northern Arizona, do the thing, the FCS West side of the country, and all that, and now. You're going to the Big Apple to play for the Giants, you know, at least for a, you know, to get, have a run at it with the Giants. How great would that be to be in that room and to, you know, be with those guys and and uh, and to compete against them as well. George will be into the Browns. You know I love this. You know, I want to see this happen. Give me Big George uh, uh, up there in Cleveland. So we'll take a look and see, you know, what he's able to do. But, again, so much of this for all these guys hinges on – can they get on the field? I mean, th- more than for anybody else, it matters for this this type of player, these guys that are the unsigned guys from the small schools and so forth, to be able to get on the field with their peers, with the other NFL players, and see. Like, let's see. Let's see what it looks like, you know? So uh, there you go. It's 2 Tell Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio. The, uh, the two biggest snubs, and this is where the personal workouts come into it, are Mitch Brott from Montana State and – um, Zach Larson from Southern Utah. Both those guys are first-team All-American offensive linemen out of the big sky. And what I say by the in-person workouts are so important, it's, it has nothing to do with how you run or anything like that. It has everything to do with those drills that the coaches always put you through, yeah. the footwork drills and stuff like that. Because when you're watching tape of Mitch Brott, the only guys in the league you can find where he's going against NFL guys are Jonah Williams and George Obina. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like a stalemate, if not, I mean, in the in Obina's case, Obina won that matchup against Mitch Brott. There's the only guy that won really a matchup against Mitch Brott. Yeah. But you look at Zach Larson from Southern Utah, too. I mean, the interior defensive lineman in the league this year, there wasn't anybody that was an NFL caliber guy. So you have literally no film against fellow NFL guys. And so that's right. what's that's where it's so hard because they need to see you move. They need to see your footwork to give you a shot. There is a long time between now and July twenty fourth, so we'll see. But I, I did think that those were the two guys that were surprising to me. I thought those two guys would get calls. Let's bring it back to the city of Missoula Coulter, uh, the Montana Lady Grizz announcing their first junior college transfer since nineteen eighty one. Uh by the way, we will be looking forward to having uh the the new head coach, interim head coach Mike Petrino on the show uh later on this week. So we will keep you informed as to the specifics of that and when that it happens and as we know i mean this is an ongoing uh you know conversation and story that's sort of unfolding with uh, uh coach shannon schwain and and the athletic department and kent haslam as the ad and so on but within the context of the team and the basketball team they do have a roster to fill they have some spots on it and for the first time in 38 years there's a transfer to the University of Montana women's basketball team, I Hannah should, I should Thurman. Say, I should is that say right? It's, it's the uh, it's the old it's the first transfer that didn't come with a little bit of an asterisk because Anthony Johnson's wife Shantae, she transferred here with Anthony Johnson. Okay, and she actually became a pretty good player, but it was kind of a package deal. Right. Anthony Johnson was at Yakima City Community College, and he was an above a, above a Big Sky level recruit. He could have played the Mountain West or the Pac-12 probably, but Montana got him partially because of their prestige as a program. 
when Wayne Tingle brought Anthony Johnson in, but also because Robin Selvig let him do a little double dating and bring sure. in his, his wife too. But this is the first since Vicky Hebner in 1981, where it was a straight up JC transfer. You want to, the third JC transfer? The only there's only been three. The third JC transfer was when Robin Selvig's sister Sandy mm. came to play for him after spending her first, I believe, just year at uh, Flathead Community College up in Kalispell. I can promise you this. If I was the head coach of a women's team, my two sisters, who both played basketball, that would be a transfer out <laughs> immediately. No chance they're coming to play for their brother. That's 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 a recipe for disaster. If you want an entertaining story, go check out Grizz Greats, The Coaching Tree podcast, and the Robin Selvig episode. He tells the story about what it was like coaching his sister because at this moment – Coach Selvig is what, in his early 20s, mid-20s, maybe? Sure, yeah, young. And his sister is 20. Absolutely. So uh, what a dynamic, right? It's not as if you're coaching your 15 years younger sister. This is like you're coaching your sister that you, like, fought with for the bathroom <laughs> in high school. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but the, his, his rendition of that story is very funny, so go check that out on the Grizz Greats podcast. Uh, nonetheless, Hannah Thurman is the uh, is the transfer. She comes from Three Rivers College, uh, averaged uh, just over nine points a game uh, last season as a shooter, and originally a commit to UC Riverside uh but you know this is you know at this point where there's been this uncertainty surrounding the program and now we know you know what what the state of this program is going to be for the next year and also basically the makeup of of you know the roster there's still some unknowns certainly uh you know within the context of it but uh they got to go find some folks, and I think four freshmen uh, have been signed uh, by the by the Montana women's basketball team. But uh, there's some more opportunity available, and so now you get you know Hannah Thurman, and you know I've I've never seen her play. I don't know what she's you know what type of player she is, and all that kind of thing. Outside of you know she's an offensive player, and had like you said, you know that's a good offer to go play at UC Riverside, certainly. Um, but they. I will say this, within the context of where they're at right now, it seems like, you know, when we look at the roster and see what's there, they need some kids, some girls who are going to come in and play right away. Like, they can sure. come in and hit the ground running and are going to be, you know, good players have, you know, a, a couple of years of experience. And so getting some transfers, or at least one transfer, we'll see, you know, if, if uh, you know, what, what happens here in the, in the, in the future. But uh, that's, I think that's a good thing. I mean, they, they need that right now. And also bringing in just new blood, you know, people who Absolutely. are just hitting this thing kind of day one, ground one with Coach Petrino, the staff that's there, and they're off and running with, with you know, the Lady Grizz. So uh, we, uh, we'll we look forward to having Hannah Thurman in town and seeing uh, what, what she is as a player and, and what her role can be on this team. I mean, the Lady Grizz have always been so popular, first of all, because of just the top-notch level of winning, but also because of the way that they went about doing it. They had so many local girls who everybody just had known growing up forever because there were so many Montana gals. I mean, like Coach Selvig told that story about the, I believe it was the uh, either the 92 or the 93 team where I think literally every player on their team was from Montana. Yeah. And they finished in the top 25. That's not happening ever again. I don't think that's happening right. anywhere. I don't think that's happening anywhere in the country where you have all your players from in state at mm-hmm. at a flagship institution of the state and have them all and finish the top twenty five. It's not happening again. Yeah. I mean that's the iconic poster, right? That that from that team where they're all wearing their Montana letter jackets. Right. But I guess what I'm saying though is that the formula that Robin Selvig had was so great because he was the one conducting and enacting the formula. Mm-hmm. I just don't really know if there is anybody else that could have rosters almost completely full of in-state girls, mm-hmm. underdog, small school, 
young ladies who could do it like Robin Southern. I mean, Shannon Schwain recruited in-state heavily. Right. And I think that she's not really running as developmental of a program as Robin Selvig was. So I think you need to go away from it. And I think that just like you said, at this point, we've never had anything different for the Lady Grizz basketball program. Since 1978 until two months ago, it was the same thing in terms of the the makeup of the program. Yeah. Varying results these last four years. But at this moment, just to straight up fill the roster, they got to do this. But on the other hand, too, I just think that Times change and, and programs change, and I just think that them going out and getting young ladies that fit their program from a skill perspective and from a personality perspective, I don't think it matters where you're from right. as much as people try to make that out yeah. to be. And I, if you if you have great players in Montana, go get them. Absolutely. Go get them. Try to develop them. But as, at this moment, with six players on your roster, you got to go get who you can get. And you know, I watched this young lady's tape, Hannah Thurman. She's a great shooter. I think that she'll be – she can definitely play at this level. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, though, how she fits into the mold because they've never really had to acclimate somebody from the junior college ranks into the program right, ever. Right. Sutel Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio. On the other side, the last dance, parts three and four. Rodman, Phil Jackson, well, some guy named Mike. We'll talk about it next. At Blackfoot, we're experts at keeping customers and communities connected online. In fact, we executed our own business continuity plan, quickly mobilizing to keep our communities online with the service and experience they need. You need to stay connected, too, and we can help. From home internet to remote workforce deployments, contact Blackfoot to learn how we can help you stay connected today and in the future. Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash remote workforce to learn more. you're well we are having a power struggle here in the uh, studio Coulter wants to talk about the last dance as do I Tommy wants to talk about my t-shirt uh I mean, we're all about original content so let's do what Tommy wants it's <laughs> to tell new on this ESPN radio Coulter knows how to keep his job whoa look at that look who's got the I mean, firing capability all of a sudden back there we don't go back to social distancing. I might be out to pay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! It's just so weird how like the pressure of what everybody else is doing weighs upon you, even if you don't even care or react to it. It's still you can feel it. Only if you conform to societal standards, Coulter. Well, right, but like I was just loving. So part of this is just that I love a personal challenge, right? And so when people are sitting there. Uh, bemoaning the state of the world and just so sad and mad that about all the things that they can't do. I just found it a very um, fun and rewarding challenge to just live the best day every day. Say it's better than ever because it is. I don't know. It's it, it's interesting, this whole thing. It's been very um, revealing of a lot of things to me in my mind. Anyways, Ryan, tell people about your shirt. What is a Schrodinger's cat? <laughs> 
<laughs> I really do not want to do this. Oh, then why? let's not do it. So why are you wearing it? You have a TV show and you wore the shirt to be on TV. No, 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 I didn't. I th- t- Tommy will tell you the reason this came up is because I had my TV shirt on, which is a very nice ESPN polo, thank you very much, yeah, which yeah. at the point in time when I found out this was going to be a radio-only session today, I took it off and mm. had this t- T-shirt on. Okay. What is the Schrodinger's cat? This is what's so great about Ryan. I simply asked, hey, man, what's on your shirt? That's a funky, like, cat. And 30 minutes later, I've learned how the particles interact with one another in the universe, <laughs> and how the photons and the light waves are, are all figments of our imagination, and that a cat can be alive and dead at the same time. It's just crazy to me. So Schrodinger's cat is uh, uh, the shirt has Schrodinger's cat wanted dead and alive. It's an ironic sort of deal. Erwin Schrodinger's a physicist from Austria, 1935, who had a little bit of a issue with the quantum <laughs> superposition uh, and the idea that comes out of Einstein's theory of relativity that has quantum particles that can basically obtain multiple states at the same time. Or, as another interpretation, is that they aren't actually anywhere until they're observed. Uh, In any case, put together a cat in a box with a vial of, uh, you know, like acid that would kill the cat if it was open. (laughs) And that a quantum particle could trigger the lowering of a hammer that would crack the vial and kill the cat. And his uh, argument was that on one interpretation of the view that the cat is both dead and alive. Uh, And so this is like, you know, uh, supposed to be this counterintuitive or even paradoxical notion that proves the falseness of that uh, explanation. See, that's my best attempt at at an explanation on this shirt. First of all. The fact that you could remember and recite that so articulately, yet you've never spelled any human's name right on an outline. Josh Hill. Nor will you. I will tell you after this show when our three interviews are this week, and you will call me in a panic before every single one of them having no idea. You can can remember that. It's astounding. Your brain is is out of this world. That's why I wanted to talk about the damn shirt. Secondly, (laughs) the fact that you guys both tell stories about dying animals on the radio <laughs> and all I can do is laugh is very detrimental First to all, my reputation. Schrodinger's cat is not an actual cat. There's no cat in a box. It's merely a thought experiment, but it has to have consequence or else, you know, it loses a certain like if it was just like, you know, oh well, then you're going to get a cherry flavored lollipop as opposed to an apple flavored lollipop, <laughs> like it doesn't carry the same cachet. You can certainly have the same idea, but, you know, the fact that an animal's life is at stake and is not only at stake, but is in fact both true. Like that's the issue that he uh, tends to come up with. And yet the uh, physicists tell us, no, no, quantum superposition, real I thing. I Googled so. this cat. And okay. Google gives the recommendations of what other people Google. Uh huh. The top three are as follows. And then I will put my end of this argument to rest. Number one. What is Schrodinger's cat trying to prove? Number two, what is the name of Schrodinger's cat? Number three, is Schrodinger's cat gender fluid or not? (laughs) So those are are the real questions here. Here's the thing. I mean, you can say what you want to say, but this is a famous, this is a famous, like Schrodinger's cat is not really like unknown like it's an it's it's not it's not just a small speck that happens in some you know 
time and space spot that nobody's heard like this is a big deal is a very well known uh you know part of physics history so for whatever that's i mean now that we carry encyclopedias in our pocket or anybody is anybody actually going to remember anything to the level you remember this ever again yes you the think? answer is yes. You think? Many people. I mean, it seems many as, much more. It yes. seems as if hardly anybody remembers anything about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. That's a that's a good point. A great segue, Coulter. I uh, had forgotten several things about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. One of the things that I forgot was that, to me, the greatest sports photo of all time that I'm aware of is uh, Muhammad Ali over the top of Sonny Liston. Okay, that's my favorite sports photo. I, for me, it's the best sports photo ever taken. The second sport, best sports photo ever taken is the black and white shot of Michael Jordan in the dunk contest l- launching and has as the ball cocked back like down by his thigh and ready to windmill, you know, this thing home but the angle of the shot is such that it appears that he is just going to keep ascending into the ceiling and that the rim has no chance of actually remaining on its hinge on the back they did show this picture they kind of fired filed through like four or five pictures uh at one stage in uh i think it was episode three could have been episode four i think it was the third though uh last night and uh it was a a stirring reminder of my admiration for michael jordan the basketball player i uh i loved the phil jackson stuff last night you know i had forgotten good montana content a lot of great pretty sure that's from his house in lakeside oh yeah doing that interview has to be has to be you can see the background everything i uh you know, of course, the whole Buddhist thing and the Zen master and all that, like you mm-hmm. got all that. But I had forgotten all of the Native American elements, to which right. were as if not even maybe more influential to right. just the philosophy of how he was trying to, to to get in touch with these guys. I mean, could you have a more disparate roster personality type of Steve Kerr, Dennis Robin, Michael Jordan? I mean, good luck bringing this band together you know you and so and and he did it and he did it you know in in a lot of these ways and you know letting letting rodman go to vegas for two days which turned into four or five days or whatever it is and all that kind of stuff and not being you know and just going okay well this is what it is you know and and you know that that first of all probably wouldn't happen now and second of all wouldn't have happened then probably with anybody other than Phil Jackson. And I guess he takes a risk of saying, yeah, you know, we're going to let this guy do it and everybody else. Well, I'd like a vacation. Even Michael Jordan says, if anybody needed a vacation, I needed a vacation, not Dennis Rodman. But it turns out that it worked out, you know, ultimately in the end. So that was good. I also had forgotten the uh, sweep Detroit Pistons walk off while the clock still, you know, got mm-hmm. time left on it. I had forgotten that entirely. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Yeah, my brother, Brooks, who is a um, Michael Jordan fanatic. Yes. More than 100 pairs of Jordan shoes. I believe he's got a signed Jordan jersey. A signed Jordan jersey. He's got, he's got it all. Got yeah. all of it. Yeah. He's just so mad because he doesn't care about the nostalgia. He wants to learn something new. And he claims that through four episodes, he hasn't learned one thing new. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that part's funny. Uh, but I just keep looking at this thing because I haven't really learned much new either. But I do. I just keep looking through it uh, for the thought-provoking nature of it all. 
comparing and contrasting generations, comparing and contrasting the way these guys changed the game. The number one overwhelming theme so far in this documentary is the fact that failure is almost required to achieve true transcendent greatness. These guys all had to fail both individually and together before they could ever come out on the other side. And Mm -hmm. that in itself, I think is so indicative of something that should resonate with young people today because we see now so often when adversity hits, kids choose a different path and or quit instead of just pushing through it. Like what if Scotty Pippen would have quit when he was the equipment manager and then a walk on it? Central Arkansas. NAIA school, right? What if Dennis Rodman would have quit when he was homeless and like wouldn't have taken the chance to play junior college basketball? So that part, I think, should be inspiring to young people that even the greatest of all time, I mean, these guys are all Hall of Fame players and they failed They failed almost ad nauseum until they were in their 30s. Like People should remember that. Like That's what life is about is failing until you achieve, right? That part I find so fascinating. And the, the other part is that the part you cannot replicate, the part that it doesn't matter if it's a story you heard a million times hearing Michael Jordan tell the story uncut while he sips on his Añejo tequila on the side is just, it's just too good. It's, it's brilliant. Him sitting there with his cigar and his drink and telling the story and, and hearing it from his voice. And also I would say this, like, I mean, I don't know if you, if you, if you go and look it up. Okay. But it's been a long time since I've watched Michael Jordan play this much basketball. Okay. And to just, see him doing it and I realize that these are highlights and all of that kind of thing but the way he looked the 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 beautiful nature of the way that he played the game of basketball is you know it 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 all comes back it's not even about watching the specific shot or moment that you're watching within the context of these of these things it's remembering all of the other ones that came along with it and for me the the single greatest moment that's absolutely etched in my mind the memory of all time for me as a boy in sports is his not dunk bring it back to the left hand against the lakers in the in the in that that's when i became the the bulls i mean i that moment where i no one could believe that that they had just witnessed this you know and magic johnson to hear him tell the story go yeah, well, he got up there. He thought about it for a little while. Well, what do I want to do here? I've dunked it too many times before. I'm going to bring it back to my left hand and just, you know, have some fun with this one. And and then, you know, he just shaking his head. And and, and that I will never forget watching that with my dad in our basement, you know, watching this game uh, happen in the NBA Finals. When I was 11, 10, 11 years old, it's the moments. I think there's a lot of stuff to analyze too in comparison, comparing and contrasting. I don't want to waste any time doing it right now. Well, that's what the show is. It's wasting time comparing and contrasting. Yeah, I know, but we I, there's, a, there's, a, that, there's a full segment to be had all about how these old guys and Charles Barkley specifically who sit up there and talk about how the defense used to be so much better. It's not true. It used to be so much more physical. Their defensive rotations are horrific. If you understand the way help defense or any defensive concept that's used in professional basketball is supposed to be executed their help side defense is is atrocious but it's, no it is far more physical though i mean it, for sure like, but just because you rotate late and you today. just throw some guy on the ground does not make you any sort of good defensive basketball player it makes you a thug <laughs> no, all it just makes you is that this is the point of what they're doing regardless that's not the debate i want to have okay. right now well, you I, uh, did. you opened it up yeah i know the but 
There's just so many different things that Michael Jordan, it's just a confluence of events. But like the one thing that really strikes me is when they play the live commentary, we played the game six of the 1998 NBA Finals on ESPN Radio yesterday afternoon leading up to the last dance. Mm-hmm. And that was the game when Michael Jordan hit the game winner. It was the walk-off to seal the sixth title. He retired after that. I mean, it's going to be the culmination of this documentary that we're watching. Everybody knows how it ends. That's what's amazing that it's still so compelling. But when you listen to that commentary, when you listen to every single deal, whether it's you know game four against the Pistons to complete the sweep or the 63-point game against the Celtics, whatever it is, every single time they chime in to listen to the announcers, they all say, Michael Jordan, he's exhausted, but he still keeps willing his team to victory. Jordan had such a flair for the dramatic. We've heard about LeBron being tired one time when he had cramps because they turned the heat up in the arena. There's never any... LeBron James is so exhausted. He's willing his team to victory. There's just so many different things that go into it. Michael Jordan was the showman to make it seem like that, but also it was the reality too. It just the, all the different things that go into a legend, both that you can help and can't help, that's the most fascinating part about this documentary to me. Stu Tillin and Wannis, 1029 ESPN Radio, hour one in the books. More wasted time analyzing next hour next. <laughs> Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia? When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org. 